0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife's Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and this week we're going to dabble in a game that I really enjoyed back when it was first released on the PS2. Thankfully, it got remastered under the PS4, and the company responsible for it has been on a bit of a high turn and a critical darling ever since coming into existence. And as you can see, the game in question is Odin Sphere. Now, my first experience, as stated, was on the PS2, and this was the first game by a company known as Vanillaware. Uh, A couple of Atlas employees decided to make their own company, and they decided to make a game that was kind of a 2D, beat-em-up style game, but with a a lot of flourish and a unique battle system branching pads in a narrative awesome music and odin's fear was created with a good mixture of so many good elements it was different from a lot of the games that i had played because as i've said i play mostly rpgs or action rpgs this still fits under the action rpg label but being a 2 d 'em up game it provides a different kind of experience. It's kind of like playing River City Girls these days. You know, I'm not as familiar with like those old school. Like these guys are chumps. You could beat the shit out of them and just keep going. It is a beat 'em up style, but Odin Sphere has its own kind of feel to it. And VanillaWare has kind of hit their own niche when it comes to these games. And they've made other titles for Sony. Uh, Most notably Muramasa the Demon Blade and uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I have not played those, but knowing what I know about VanillaWare, if they're anything like this, and most of the mechanics for the PS4 remaster were from those games, they're probably really freaking good, and I will have to venture and try them out or watch them on YouTube and such and maybe talk about them on a separate day but Odin Sphere is the one I know and Odin Sphere has a lot of good elements that you're not really gonna find in a lot of other games and they work together it scratches that JRPG niche enough for me that I'm like really invest- invested in it but it's also got its own style that is wholly unique to it and it's something very special and, and again I do think it's a critical and a critical darling, excuse me, I was going to say critical and commercial success for a smaller game, you know, from an Atlas developer or former Atlas developer. It was published by Atlas, so it was there. But we'll start with the plot because it is its own beast. And that's why I'm going plot instead of characters first because the plot informs what the characters are going to do. So we start the game with a little girl in an attic. Her name is Alice. And she's just sitting with her cat in an attic and she finds a book. She starts reading it. And the book that she reads is about a continent or a planet known as Arion where a bunch of kingdoms are kind of locked into this big old fantasy land war a kingdom known as valentine in basically one night did a bad and blew itself up pretty much and the, the entirety of its populace and the people who didn't die basically due to the explosion of what is known as the crystallization cauldron. ...turned into these rabbit beings... ...or these immortal rabbit-looking things... ...these beasts of burden known as puka, And the king himself, King Valentine... ...died and went to the Underworld. And this is one of those games where the Underworld is like a Hades... ...or a Tartarus or whatever, where it actually exists. And the kingdom... ...and the King of Valentine is just left to wander there... ...and his uh, children are part of the main party of sorts trying to forget whatever happened, or trying to overcome it. This Puka's curse, once you are cursed by it, you can't turn back. So the Puka, these members of Valentine, decided, we need to find a way to break this curse, and they've decided to find every single Valentinian coin that existed that basically just blew up in the explosion and scattered everywhere. Assuming that that happens, they're able to break the curse. All the while, other kingdoms are at war because of the power vacuum that exists. And there are wise men going around and dragons talking about this Armageddon that's going on. So it's loosely based on North mythology, and a lot of the characters are Norse in origin, but don't really let that fool you. It's its own kind of beast. And speaking of beasts, the beast of Armageddon is a dragon or could be a dragon. There's this thought that it could come and just basically wipe shit out because you know Armageddon's not a good thing. And the Kingdoms of War are fighting over this dormant crystallization cauldron. It's apparently powered by forces in Arion known as phosons, which are these kind of crystallized life uh, elements. And, you know, think of Lifestream from Final Fantasy VII if it was like crystals of life instead of this green goo. But while the Kingdom of Valentine's got crumbled and turned to shit... The other kingdoms are at war. You've got a fire kingdom, uh, lorded by Lord Onyx, I believe, was his name. I want to say Erwin, but I'm thinking of a different game. Um, I'm thinking of Legend of Mana, but anyway. So you've got Onyx, I believe. He's got his own thing going. You've got the Kingdom of the Underworld, which is ruled by Queen Odette, which, well, she's undead she doesn't really care about the goings on of things she's just there presiding over the dead but she's also housing um very very bad evil things because dead people um you have kingdom of titania which is just a human kingdom and a big city and a king and all this junk that's where the wise men are from you've got the two main kingdoms Which are the Kingdom of Fairies, known as Ringford, and the Kingdom of Ragnonovil. And a lot of these characters are from these places, are acquainted with these places in different ways, and Ragnonovil are at war... And Ringford are at war for a ring that is supposedly able to start the crystallization cauldron back up. And apparently because they think it's super powerful, they can use it as a weapon. And, you know, that's terrible. Uh, I believe that Ringford's trying to use it as a deterrent and (laughs) Ragnarovil is the opposite. So, there's a war starting, and that's where our story starts, and that's where our main characters come in. There's not a whole bunch. There's a lot of side characters and junk, but the main characters here are the main six. We've got five main playable characters, and then one who is noted for always kind of being around. Not quite King Odin or Queen Elpharia. He's instead just kind of there and an ever-present sort of villain sort of anti-hero sort of whatever but he's always around and doing muckety-muck bullshit so we'll start with gwendolyn voiced by karen strassman who talked about many many times um her character is a valkyrie you know demon lord odin Norse mythology that sort of thing the Valkyries you know believing you know dying honorably and fighting honorably and whatever so Gwendolyn had a sister she fell in battle so she leads sort of a brigade she's not like the leader of things but she is Odin's daughter so she has kid gloves but not really um Unfortunately for her, she gets into a tizzy because one of the other characters does a thing. And the, the reason I'm going to bounce around is because the narrative is branching. So when I say other characters, I will get to them, but the nature of how the story's told makes it convoluted. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers for this one. Um, but Gwendolyn finds one of the main characters and is convinced not to do a thing, and instead. Beats the shit out of this giant fucking general dude. Odin doesn't like that, but also knows that, you know, he has to punish Gwendolyn, too. So, he puts her asleep and sends her to some fuck-off castle to live with someone named Oswald. And Oswald is voiced by Derek Stephen Prince. He was one of the main villains in Persona 3, who I dub Revolver Jesus because that's exactly what he looks like. He's a pale fucking Jesus guy with a fucking gun. Um, but he's also been in other games like Xenosaga 1 and Love Hina the an- on the anime side. So, you know, pretty good voice actor. Doesn't do a whole bunch, but when I see him, I like him. Um, Oswald is kind of like a mercenary slash um, human demon hybrid because he has this weird power that he can basically turn berserk and just wreck face we'll go over everyone's specializations in a minute but everybody has their own like feel to them everybody fights differently so, Oswald and Gwendolyn sort of like each other, sort of don't, because of the magic spell that Odin put Gwendolyn under. So, you have that, like, do they like each other, do they not? Oswald doesn't treat her like, a, like an object, like property. So, it's hard to question whether Gwendolyn really likes him or not, and that's part of their storyline. So, while that's going on, we have Prince Cornelius from Titania, voiced by Yuri Lowenthal. And he gets turned into a puka, gets dumped into the underworld somewhere, fights his way out of it, and then has to figure out why he was turned into a puka. He is trying to wed Velvet, voiced by Michelle Ruff, and Velvet and Cornelius are like sort of together, but not quite, because Velvet is a... I guess you would call her... Uh, born of wedlock i would suppose and she's treated as a witch so cornelius is trying to break off like engagements i guess he was supposed to be engaged to gwendolyn herself or her sister or whatever so there's political machinations and they believe that they should be together and cornelius is pissed because he knows he's a puka now and velvet is this very very pretty girl so what the fuck? What am I supposed to do? So he has to befriend the Puka, but also, like, avoid Velvet, you know, out of discourse because he thinks he's an ugly guy, which, I mean, he's not. But again, he's not, like, the fanciful prince anymore, which makes sense. So Velvet and Cornelius are tied together, so they have their separate storylines. Velvet's whole thing is she is trying to find the Ring of Tetrell and get the fuck rid of it because she's seen firsthand what the what the crystallization cauldron does and if they try to activate it she wants to beat the shit out of it and she's trying to you know she meets Gwendolyn in the middle of nowhere and imparts her knowledge and Gwendolyn has to make a choice and that's why Gwendolyn gets fucked over um so everything starts to tie together Velvet is still trying to deal with all the stuff while finding Cornelius but also dealing with her undead dad who was the cause of that fucking mess So, her storyline is always kind of out in the outskirts, but is ever-present and important. They leave it as one of the last ones you do. So, a lot of the gaps start getting filled in, and Velvet, as an outsider, has a lot of story that harkens back to the other four. Um, We have the final main character, Mercedes. Mercedes. And she's Princess Mercedes of Ringford. So we have a princess of Ragnarval in Gwendolyn. We have a princess in Ringford of Mercedes. And she's a fairy. And due to the war being a crazy fucking war, Odin decides, oh, well, if Elfari is going to be a bitch about things, I'll just get rid of her, which leaves Mercedes as Queen Mercedes. But nobody believes in her because she's kind of a snooty, like, She's voiced by Stephanie Shea, who we talked about as uh, Heide from Gankutsuo last week. So, you know, Mercedes is this, like, she's just hunting frogs. She's having a good time. She's basically thrown into this position of power she was not prepared for because her mom passed away or was killed. And... You know she's vengeful but she's not vengeful but at the same time she knows and she has to learn that just because she wasn't aware of it now she has a position of power that she's not accustomed to and somebody's trying to take over in Ringford you know that whole like I'm in power now because the lady is gone you know that sort of thing so you have this power vacuum of its own doing in ringford because of princess mercedes going off trying to do her thing so she has to deal with several fronts so you have your five main characters and the other character i want to speak about is ingway voiced by liam o'brien who was akihiko in persona 3 he was grimoire vice in near and basically every good character ever because he's awesome um but yeah you hear the name Liam O'Brien you've probably heard his voice somewhere critical role i'm sure like he's been everywhere you know who he is so anyway Ingwe is Velvet's uh brother and that would explain why Ingwe is such kind of a scheming fuck because he's involved with the the kingdom of Valentine business um but in a much more malevolent way than Velvet is So he's always kind of putzing around plotting and doing weird magical bullshit. And he's not like outwardly villainous, but he's always scheming and ends up becoming one later. And you know that even though he's helping people along the way, he's always doing his own thing for his own gain. And near the end of the game, if you get the proper ending, you know what he you end up knowing what he ends up doing why he ends up doing it and Liam's performance, like everybody in the main cast, is fucking phenomenal. Um, One of the things I like about this game is it's almost like a stage play or a theater performance of a video game story. So they act almost to the camera or to the audience. The the way the actors are dubbed and the way they act, and I'm sure this was true in the Japanese version too, it's as if they're on a stage, but they're not. They're in a storybook, but it it feels like a Shakespeare stage play in a, in a tragedy. But the way they go about it is not like they're talking to each other. They are, but it's also like they're talking to an audience or they're talking in their innermost monologues and stuff. So it feels like a different type of storytelling being played. And that adds up into the battle system. The battle system itself is different. And as I said, because there was branching paths and branching things. And it comes true with the branching paths that the characters follow. You have different styles of battle for the for the characters. It all feels that same kick the shit out of dudes and beat them up and take their health bar and shit. You know, find a key, get through a level, find some items, find a map, get all that shit, and, you know, get better, get stronger, you know, get to level fifty before their end of their arc and then be level fifty by the end of the game. You know that stuff. So it's got RPG elements, but it's a beat 'em up. So what they do is they make it so everybody can use alchemy, which I'll explain later, but everybody has their own unique style of fighting gwendolyn as a valkyrie can fly and you know use a spear and dive bomb and just stab and swing and stab and swing and fly and swing and beat the shit out of dudes with the spear so it's got some range on it you have oswald who can metamorphose into this berserk mode guy for a limited time and basically just wreck with his sword i don't recall if it takes his HP to do it. I know some games have that thing. I think it's more just a timer that it runs on, but he's powerful enough as is, but when he gets Berserk mode, it's really like, oh, I want you dead now. Um, Cornelius is straightforward, sword and board kind of guy. Uh, Great sword, not shield, but I meant sword and board, but you, you know what I mean by that. It's sword dude. He's got fast attacks with a sword, but it's got you know, well-rounded range and all that shit. Uh, Velvet is interesting. She's got these kind of whip chains with these crystals on the end. Uh, everybody has a weapon based on a phoson, which I mentioned was a life force crystal kind of thing smithed into a special weapon. So, um, I think it's known as a, a cipher. I think that's what the technical term is. It's If I say the other word, it's going to say, think like Viagra. I'm thinking Pfizer, but no, it's a (laughs) cipher. Anyway, uh, so everybody has their own cipher, and Cornelius's is a blade, Velvets. She's got like a big-ass chain that she's around her waist, but she's also got them hooked to her hands, and it's just like nunchucks if they were gems right and she spin them around and she can kind of set people on fire by hitting them a bunch and she's got a good fast free-flowing fighting style and i actually like her fighting style the best because it's not cumbersome at all she's not strong but she's just fast and frenetic and that burn effect is really cool Um, Mercedes is the toughest one to use, but is also the most broken because she can physically fly. Uh, Gwendolyn can glide a little bit, but she's, she's encumbered by gravity. Mercedes has wings. She does not give a fuck. And she has a crossbow gun. Basically the Pfizer uh, Pfizer cipher. I'm going to get trouble for that, aren't I? The cipher that she has can blow shit up. So think a crossbow, but a gun. And it's like one of those fucking beam gun laser things like a stormtrooper would have, but in a fantasy setting. So she can fly around. It takes a little time to get her in the air, but when you do, you can kind of float and fly around at your leisure and avoid damage. It's a bit slow, but she, she picks up speed and she's able to do a lot with it. So you've got everybody having their own combos and their own skill trees. You can have, like... Velvet and Gwendolyn focusing on their uh, ice and fire affinities to do status effects more. Um, Otherwise, you can just do more pure damage. I like the uh, status effect approach a little bit more the last time I played. And again, this could be part of the PS4 remaster, so don't take it as gospel that these are effects in the original. But the other cool thing is the alchemy and mixing so you can have these potions that you throw and they could be healing potions they could be you know you get some items for like cheese and you know berries and seeds you can plant some seeds into the ground and get some other items you can mix and craft things you can mix different potions to make stronger potions you can make wind spells explosion spells spells that turn people visible if they're invisible all sorts of cool fun junk that you can do you can get one that has better treasure hunting ability you know all this fun cool stuff that you can do with these potions and this crafting stuff you can also craft food and food can serve as a healing item when you don't have any potions or a better uh you can like eat a bunch of apples and then uh, take a new seed that then plant it and get a get another serving or whatever and you can go to a merchant and pick up some special items and some maps and some keys but you can also get some seeds or some recipes for food there's a restaurant run by the puka they have two different restaurants one for these gigantic meals and then another for these smaller desserts you get recipes and you get the right items and the coinage for them all you get these stat buffs and they really help you get to like level 50 level 55 before the end so you really want to do that sort of stuff while you're going around so you can transport to the puka village and take a load off and get healed and get right back into the action it's very snappy it's very quick and it's a well thought out system because you get that crazy amount of battle and hectic feel but you also get to take a break once in a while to talk to an npc or a merchant, or do whatever, and then go to the Puka Village, and then level up a little bit. Um, Changing tack here, we'll talk about the music, and the music is brought to us by Hitoshi Sakamoto and Masaharu Iwata. Now, Hitoshi Sakamoto is well known for the Evil East games, the Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Ogre, um, vagrant story and final fantasy 12 and i will say this and i will bring this up when we actually talk about those games i don't think he's the best fit for final fantasy 12 you know sue me i don't like final fantasy 12 i will readily beat the shit out of it and take my lashings in its own episode but as it's concerned like it's not the musician's fault because in this game in stuff like Uh, vagrant story which has no attachment to final fantasy right or valkyria chronicles that's another game where i know him from the these songs fit what they were going for this fantasy setting this high fantasy you know norse setting these hectic battles and you get a lot of like cool harpistry and trumpets and horns and horns blaring but you get these like softer tunes and harpsichords the, the song that really stands out to me is the opening theme, the theme of Odin's sphere. They actually had several different versions of it. and one of them, uh, Sana She or whatever version, I wish I knew how to pronounce it. Um, it's a softer version, but it also has these interesting Celtic, you know instruments as a backdrop in the middle of the songs you get the softer orchestral chanting and singing almost in i think it's in japanese but but it doesn't sound japanese they took a lot of inspiration from celtic you know that cool i I go to nightwish like later nightwish they got some uh they got a person to do like the core celtic style instrumentation to go along with the heavier shit that sort of thing so those kinds of songs, and and it balances out a lot of the like softer themes, but then also the super hectic battles. You know, if you've played the tactics stuff for the Final Fantasy XII, you'll know that sort of like b- budding orchestral vibe to it. There's a lot of that in those themes, but I still think the opening theme really gets me a lot more or the interstitial themes where they're just sitting around talking in the softer moments that's where i think the songs shine i think the the whimsical songs in the puka village or the kitchen they sound really freaking cool um but everything feels and sounds like it's supposed to again I, i'm bitching about final fantasy 12 more because it's final fantasy not because the people making the music were bad at it in a game like this that has no affiliation with any other franchise i'm like oh this is great this sounds amazing so they do amazing work and it really adds to the like northern european or eastern european or even just western irish you know that sort of vibe to it just you think of those kinds of instruments and you think of Odin sphere it sounds like it's supposed to a lot of battles and a lot of bloodshed and a lot of uncertainty in these cool themes that work um as far as positives for the combat or positives for the game go the visual style it's almost like watching um symphony of the night in 1997 but this game came out in 2006 2007 it's the same thing the 2d style works so well there's so much going on that for a team of only like 30 people to make something that looks this good and works this well and stays this snappy but has this like there's a doomed battlefield over here and then there's this bombed out like decrepit decaying world of water in the underworld or there this there's this town there's this mountain of snow where this lake of fire kind of thing every environment looks like it should like nebulopolis the uh, Gwendolyn's hometown in Ragnarok looks like this crazy city that's like on the top of these skyscrapers these old school like french buildings or english buildings but they're all like big skyscraper looking things as opposed to being on a town it's like being the tick and running across the rooftop and breaking everything um the frenetic combat works in service of everything it doesn't overstay its welcome it doesn't like get you stuck anywhere except if when you're looking for a key but you're usually able to find a key there's not a lot of like crazy puzzles if there are it's just turn miniature and go through a keyhole and come out the other side and stuff like that it's not here to waste your time um the setting the world and the characters the voice acting all feel like this crazy world is inhabiting itself and you get this vibe that everything works everything feels right everything should be as it is and the characters have their motivations and they call they all intersperse and interlock and the the good thing and yet the bad thing now that we're going into the negatives is that that storytelling is a is a bit off off that's one of the few things i can say is a is a drawback Is the branching storyline? You don't know everything that's going on. You can piece together things. It's like playing uh, Zero Time Dilemma. You know, those games, the Virtue's Last Reward, the Zero Escape series, they. A lot of the branching pads, they don't tell you everything right away, so you have to bounce around and piece together a person's narrative and then go around so you get Gwendolyn you get Cornelius then you get Mercedes Oswald then you get Velvet and then everything starts to kind of feed together in this timeline so it is a full timeline but you're getting these things at different points and everybody has different points where they coexist or they stay separate and you have to kind of piece together when in the story shit's happening and then it goes back to the end in the finale where it all coalesces but it also kind of leads to another issue where if you say fight Odette in the underworld you'd think this crazy bitch is gonna kill you she looks like a fucking undead corpse with you know a giant fucking flowing dress of doom but she's basically in the shape of a half moon crescent that she uses to basically slice you into pieces and yet you fight her as a main villain in one of the story arcs but at the same time in the next turn you could fight her as the first boss and once you fight a boss once you never unlearn their pattern and it's like well it just means that they're easier or harder depending on where in the story you fight them there are some separate times where you fight a different person like that general or you fight that like some of the wise men but most often you're going to be fighting a boss once or twice or maybe even three or four times and it does lead to an unbalancing act which can be frustr- you know can be frustrating again you're facing it with a different character so it does add some change but once you know the character you're kind of like well I know this person fights like this so I don't have to worry about whatever and I can use this person's strategy do this you know um so a lot of the bosses end up you know just recycling themselves and sometimes in a weaker state than you'd expect so it leads them not to be all that threatening until you get to the finale so that's one of the main things there's also um Debulopolis, given its design is skyscraper based and you can fall a lot there are a couple of like death spots you don't die but you fall down and it's like falling down a pit in sonic and you have to kind of like worm your way back to where you were because everything in the stage is like in a circular thing uh, there's two separate spots there's the circular arena where a lot of the battles are and then there's these flat planes that go in one or two directions And a lot of these places are connected, and some of the higher ground ones lead you to make these jumps, and if you miss a jump, you're going back like three or four spots. So, all in all, it's not too much of a bother, because again, it's not a death pit, it's more of a nuisance than anything. The only way you'll ever die is by, well, losing HP, so I do appreciate that sort of thing. So they're willing to try stuff like platforming and whatnot, but it's not something that's a mandatory thing, or at least it shouldn't be. But even then, when you have this convoluted storytelling, it's still not really a bother. At the end of the day, this game, Odin's here, is a well-crafted 2D brawling type game with a lot of uniqueness. Once you get done fighting with somebody you get this whole new character that you get to experiment with and change and try to do. And then you get another one and then you get another one and then you get a fifth one. And then you get to see where all these things are starting to line up in the story and why people are doing what they're doing and how everybody kind of coalesces and like how do Gwendolyn and Oswald end up? Where does Cornelius and, and Velvet end up? Does Mercedes, succeed in her plans or does she you know unfortunately perish you know that sort of question what the hell is Ingwe doing this whole time what is velvet gonna do with him you know what is king valentine or demon lord odin all these people are intertwined in this you know 20 to 25 hour game but it doesn't feel like a 20 or 25 hour game it's it's pretty robust for a crazy experience and you can you know do a person's arc in like two to th- you know, one to two hours, if you're really quick, you know, get a game, you know, 15, 20 hours like this. And it feels like it's a majestic, small, you know, small scale game, but has a lot to offer. And that's why I came back to it when they released the PS4 remaster. For anyone looking to play it, I would definitely go with Odin Sphere. It's something that you're not going to get anywhere else. And Vanillaware has, you know, got three or four games under its belt that feed that kind of niche. An RPG, but a brawler beat up thing, but it's in 2D, so it's not quite like the Yakuza games. So it's got its own vibe to it, but it's so beautiful and feels so good. So I would definitely uh, suggest people check out the PS4 version, and you will be in for a good time. But that'll do it for me today. Uh, Next week should be Madoka Magica. The week after that, I believe, is the Hatsune Miku Vocaloid uh, Project Diva and Project Mirai, you know, uh, mashup. Again, that one I'm going to try and release a day later than usual. I normally release them on Tuesday if, if I've got my schedule right. And the Vocaloid one takes a lot of prep work, you know, just to remember things. Because I'm not just talking about the games themselves, but I'm talking about the songs and how they're made and what a Vocaloid even is, like the software involved. There's a lot that goes into it. So, you know, I'll try to have that, you know, on March 9th because that's a special day that, you know, signifies Miku in general. And I'll go over why. Um, After that, I believe, is Chrono Cross. I believe it's either Chrono Cross or Konosuba. Now that I think about it, I think I have my schedule right. It's Madoka Magica next week, Hatsune Miku the week after, and then Konosuba. I I put Chrono Cross after my convention time to give anime a bit more love, and Konosuba... I was wondering when I would do a comedy, like a straightforward, no frills comedy, because I tend to focus on the more mature stuff, or the or the because uh, I'm a little older and I like the more stiffer, gruffer, you know, more intense stuff. Konosuba is not that, and uh, if I was going to do anyone, it was going to be either Chobits or Konosuba, and I chose Konosuba because oh my fucking god, is it one of the best shows of the last five years? And, man, do I want to talk about that so much. So, again, we've got our schedule. I'm probably set for a couple months, to be honest, because I normally have like three or four shows set in advance, so I get some prep time to either rewatch it or replay it or watch some stuff or read up on things to get myself back in the kind of the mindset of a thing if I haven't played it in a long time or to try something new to try it for the first time. But I believe with six weeks of things already set up into the can. I'm like, okay, now I know this is what we're going to offer. This is what we're going to do. If I do try to change it up, that I will let you guys know. But for right now we've got a good chock full of stuff until the end of March set up. So I have a lot on my plate, but I think It should be enjoyable episodes all the way through. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Remember to always like, share, and subscribe. Please tell me what you thought. Please tell me if you've ever played Odin Sphere before or if I should, you know, try Muramasa and uh, 13 Sentinels. I'm probably going to now that I've done this episode. But uh, anyway, that'll do it for me. See you guys next time. Citizen Strife, signing off.